1: Welcome, everyone, to episode 62 of the Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast. We are coming to you live, although you're not listening to us live, from (laughs) the campus of Messiah College here in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. As always, Casey Lehman, studio producer is behind the glass, and I am your host, John Fia. Now, anyone who listens to the Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast over the years, has recognized the voice that you normally hear at the beginning of our episode. And of course, you all know that voice as the voice of Drew Durley-Hermeling. For years now, he has been my partner in crime here since we started this podcast back in 2015. But today, I'm sad to say that sometimes partnerships must come to an end. And I am officially announcing that Drew has decided to leave the Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast, and he's leaving for much, 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 much greener (laughs) pastures, and he'll talk about that in a second. But before Drew goes, I thought we would make a special episode here to celebrate his time with us, an episode where we can reflect back on our partnership together and maybe learn a little bit more about Drew's next steps. I know some of you are fans of Drew Durley Hermeling, and a couple of you have even asked me. like Where has his voice been on the last couple of podcasts? I am happy to say, at least, that Drew is actually back in the studio today. If you've noticed in the last couple of episodes, indeed, uh, because of his time commitments and some of his life changes, he has been producing these episodes from behind the scenes. But today, he is here. It is a snowy Saturday morning in January in Mechanicsburg but Drew drove an hour to get here from his new house in Lancaster, or his new location in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Do I say, Drew, welcome? Uh, To the show or good to have you back. Oh,
0: thank you. Thank you. Yes, it is very good to be back Uh, You know, this is going to be I think for all of us a very bittersweet episode But I'm excited to know that the podcast is continuing as I depart in the capable hands of our new producer Casey you're gonna continue this work I think it's very important and Part of the reason why I wanted to try to hold on for uh, this last six months, but unfortunately, it just seems like, for the good of the podcast and the quality of the
1: podcast, it makes the most sense for me to tip my cap and step aside. Yeah, we'll talk about a little bit about that here in a second and how we're going to kind of be moving into the post-Drew era of the podcast. But tell us a little bit, you have not really been on the air since I think last season, right? I mean, you weren't on the air at all in the fall we heard your voice on the opening and on the closing credits, but what have you been up to, Drew?
0: Yeah, as people probably remember, the first two episodes of the season I tried to participate remotely and it just, the technology and the quality wasn't there, it wasn't working, and we'd gotten and so used to the chemistry of being in studio together that stepping back into kind of our first season mode of recording remotely just didn't make any sense anymore. That's really when I realized I couldn't get here physically for the studio time and
1: you know the approach just wasn't going to make sense for what we'd been doing yeah and those were some hard conversations yeah. I think that we had you know about how to move forward and uh, you know I appreciated Drew's honesty through the whole thing and his commitment to keeping this a good podcast so what has taken up all your time Drew that you can no longer produce the way of improvement leads own podcast what are these greener pastures <laughs> so to speak
0: well, those who remember you know I've been working at Messiah and working as the project manager of the Digital Harrisburg Initiative all last year here on campus, and I'd been commuting from Lancaster. I'd recently moved to Lancaster because of my wife's job. I'd been commuting three days a week. You know, it's a pretty hefty commute, you know, hour and a half each way. And so in April of last year, I saw a job posting for a high school teaching job at a unique and pretty innovative private high school in Lancaster City, actually, just five blocks from my house. And so I applied. At this point, I can say I wasn't terribly sure if that was the right fit you know i had been working hard for many many years as any grad student knows working hard to get that elusive higher ed position anyone who's been following John's work obviously knows he's often covering the status of the landscape of higher ed and history especially in academia right now and I kind of had this realization. I went to my job interview there at Stone, and it was really a remarkable experience. They really demonstrated that I could continue to do the kind of thoughtful historical thinking that was so important to me, which is often unfortunately lacking in, in many high school classrooms. I mean, obviously not all, many of our listeners do work very hard as high school teachers to promote real historical thinking in high school classrooms. But in my interview it was very clear that they wanted a historian on yeah. their faculty. They didn't just
1: want a, someone to just teach some classes out of a textbook, in fact, it's a school that has disavowed textbooks altogether. This is a unique place, right? You just mentioned they don't have textbooks. I know you've mentioned the Stone School mm-hmm. in a couple of episodes, but refresh our memory. Give us a little pitch for this place, because it does sound like a very, very unique place. One of my social media feeds, I saw a nice little video for it, Drew's in the video, and it really looks like an exciting opportunity, the way the school is structured and their philosophy of education and so forth.
0: Right. The specific model that we use is known as problem-based learning. So instead of teaching content, which is you know the approach of most schools where you say, these are the things that you need to learn by the end of the semester, and we will give you a number of examinations or other sorts of assessments, whether that be a paper or something like that, to demonstrate that you've learned these things. We are very, as an institution, very intentionally non-content focused, and instead focused on the sorts of skills, and the tools students need to solve any kind of problem that is put in front of them. As a historian, I think that's really liberating because I think anyone who has tried to construct a survey, you know, we both this fall taught in the first half of the American History Survey knows getting through what you are supposed to cover is a big challenge. And I'm liberated from that. I don't have to worry about what I have to get through. But instead, I'm focused on presenting very specific problems to my students, historical problems, and then letting them figure it out on their own. And so, you know, if I have a student, and I do have a student who is very, very interested in reform movements, and so if she wants to spend all of her time working on reform movements, that's great. Yeah, I have another student who's very, very uh, focused on women's history. And if she wants to spend all of her time on women's history, that's also great. And I don't have to worry about that, but instead I get to focus, and this really gets to a lot of things you talk about, and uh, you know, I'm thinking back to the, both of our episodes with Sam Weinberg, You know, the tools of the historian. My classroom is very focused on the five C's of historical thinking right. that we you talk about a lot. And as long as they're doing that, then we're on the right track. It works well because my class sizes are very small, so I get to spend a lot of time
1: interfacing directly with students. Yeah guiding them, reviewing their work. So you have a student who loves reform movement, she can work on reform movement. You have a student who loves women's history, she can work on women's history. What does that look like in reality? You know, when you say that, I'm thinking sort of, well, they're over in a quarter studying (laughs) the abolitionists, right? I mean, what does that look like in your everyday classroom?
0: Well, technology makes life a lot easier. One of the things that there have been a number of digital humanities projects in which curated primary source material has Mm -hmm. been put Mm -hmm. together and is now available online. So for example, In my last American history class, I had all the students spending time in a curated collection of primary source documents all about contact, you know, the Columbian Exchange. And so they could write any paper they wanted. Their job was to spend time in that primary source collection and then eventually come to me with a thesis, and then we work together using, again, because of technology, every student has to have a device at all times. you know. So we're on tools like Google Scholar, just re- searching through yeah. uh, secondary sources yeah. to then write that thesis. They come to me, and we go through these stages where they present a tentative thesis, and then we sit around and we talk about it as a group. And then I say, okay, now your step is to find secondary sources that help you either defend that thesis or maybe Mm -hmm. challenge that thesis, and then you have to work that together. I think we get a bad rap sometimes as an institution. People think, oh, you guys don't really do work. Kids doing whatever they want all day. And that's not true at all. We have a lot of very high stakes work. We just think a better demonstration of work is an artifact of your learning rather than an
1: examination. Do you kind of present material? Do you ever lecture? I know high school teachers should lecture very much, but do you ever have sort of structured learning where you got maybe a PowerPoint up there, you're trying to walk them through some kind of context, those more traditional kind of teaching? Yeah, and I think the thing that many quote-unquote
0: traditional teachers would recognize is we do spend a lot of time in a kind of seminar discussion, yeah. something I've started doing but actually both in The college classes I've continued to teach here at Messiah and at Stone is I have them keep a commonplace book as they read, right? And so they go home, they get reading assignments just like any other student, and they go home and they read and they need to write things down and curate what they're reading so that when they come back to class the next day, we can have a very productive discussion. And then I can also kind of check in and make sure they're doing the work, right?
1: That's been a tool that's been very successful in my classroom. That sounds incredible. Do they have any other openings in in (laughs) history? I'm happy here at Messiah, but it sounds like a great, great opportunity.
0: Yeah, I was saying this before, but for someone who was becoming incredibly anxious about the lack of opportunities yeah. for higher ed and graduates with PhDs. I'm not done with my PhD yet. I'm still in the dissertation writing phase, but it's become very clear that this is not just a job yeah. that I'm doing in the meantime and that's what I've been doing for so many years. Right. And it's kind of gets to how hard this process of leaving the podcast has been is the podcast in some ways was the side hustle that you know I was doing while I was also doing all these other things. But now that I've landed in a place which is very vocationally satisfying, right. understanding where my bandwidth is and what I can take on and what I can continue to do on the side Really, I had to make some very tough decisions because I'm incredibly happy right now with with where I've landed.
1: Well, it sounds like decisions that a lot of doctoral students, especially in history and the humanities, Mm -hmm. are having to make right now. So it's exciting. I'm happy for you that you've landed on your feet in this way. Believe it or not, Drew, we've been doing this now for four years. I went back and looked. Our first episode was in December. The famous episode zero (laughs) was in December of 2015. I remember it really well. We were not in this really nice studio here in the High Center. We were over at the college radio station. We were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, and it was kind of exciting. Those times we were trying to get something going here. What were some of those early memories that you have? I'll share some, too, Mm -hmm. about kind of getting this thing off the ground.
0: Well, we've often talked about this mythic first meeting at Little Amps Coffee Roasters. We've told this story before, but we got in the habit of is you being someone who was invested in me as an undergraduate, and then was instrumental in writing recommendations and things for me when I got into grad school. We continue to meet occasionally for coffee, yeah. and just kind of update, and
1: a couple times a year, yeah, maybe exactly. once a
0: year, yeah, and. What we discovered during one of those regular updates is I'd had rattling in the back of my head this thing, like, oh, I know how to do audio stuff a little bit. Maybe I should do a podcast. That seems like a thing that cool people do. And you had had simultaneously rattling right. in the back of your head, well, what's something I can do? You'd done some YouTube videos, uh, your uh, virtual office hours. Yeah. And you were thinking, well, this podcast thing. So there's that synergy when we were meeting and we realized we'd both kind of been thinking about something. And I still remember the text I got from you, I think three hours after I. I got home from Little Amps saying, "You know, were you were you serious? Are we are we really doing this?" And, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And again, I was in this place where I was I was doing so many weird jobs, and yeah. I had no idea what I was going to be able to do. You know, where I was going to land as I was. Making my way through grad school. And so I was like, yeah, we should do this. This would be a great resume booster. Uh, You know, you'd had an established kind of public facing history career, long established. And, you know, I knew that that was an opportunity for me as someone who didn't have anything to my name at that point. That was an opportunity for me to kind of advance some of my own academic career. And, And so we went ahead and got started. I think we were immensely lucky. I still remember you know some of our first planning meetings right. and just making lists of people to try to get on the podcast so right. just throwing out some just any name that we could think of that might be of interest to have as guests, and I mean, we really got some people who had no business hanging out with us. Yeah. You know, like, we had
1: yeah. Net Gordon Reed that first year. We had our first episode was Jim Grossman, right. the, the executive director of the AHA. Yeah. At least my part, I recorded in the basement of my in-laws' house because we
0: recorded it over the Christmas break. I remember. Yeah. And you know, I was up in Connecticut. You were back here in
1: Mechanicsburg. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember those little AMPS meetings. You know, it was around that time, right, where kind of history podcasts, they'd been around for a while, but you began to see kind of more kind of academics getting involved in them. I mean, this was when sort of Liz Kovart's podcast was really starting to take off the Ben Franklin's world. You know, you always had backstory, which I don't know if you saw it. Has been defunded. Their last episodes are going to be in July uh, 2020. By the way, Liz Covart is also taking a like a three or four month break. So, like, you know, we may have a nice field here. So, yeah, I was thinking, like, what's the next step for me? I couldn't do it on my own though, I needed help, I needed someone who was kind of savvy in this kind of world of digital, of podcasting, of kind of the web, whether it was Providence or whatever, you know, I mean you just came along for my career at least right at the right time and I think it was just a really, really kind of mutual, mutual fit. Um, I would be remiss now that we're sort of reflecting here about memories, we also had an intern Right? Back in those early days, I, I still consider her an intern, but some of you go back and listen to some of those early podcasts. How is your daughter, Nelsa, doing? She's doing really well. It was funny a
0: few weeks ago, you know, one of the things is we've been transitioning myself out of the podcast is who's going to be the caretaker of the mugs. You Potential can still get
1: those there. if you join our Patreon campaign. Mm-hmm.
0: I now have them. Yeah. You'll get them. Yeah, but the mugs. You were up at Rockefeller Center in New York doing some, some yeah. media work at NBC and I just had a day where I, I could come and drop off the mugs right. with, with my family travels over the holiday. I've had a lot of very narrow windows and so you know I, we were texting back and forth and you just, just leave them on the doorstep. I think,
1: my, I think my family was in King of Prussia Mall in, in Philadelphia yeah. shopping that day. Yeah, Just because of my own
0: yeah parenting commitments, I brought Nilsa with me uh, and and I that's what, and I said oh we're going, this is kind of cute she only calls you John Fia, all one word, <laughs> <What> <laughs> word? all one word, John Fia and we, I said we're going to John Fia's house and she started crying when oh, she realized no. that you weren't actually there I said oh no we're just dropping this off at his doorstep but yeah. there's his car <laughs> yeah. she's doing well, we just got her acceptance letter into kindergarten, Cool. so she'll be going, uh, starting kindergarten at Lancaster Mennonite in the fall, Okay. from one parent to another, I'm sure you realize, yeah. you know, it's someone who's now very recently empty nesting, seeing those daughters grow
1: up is a little bit bittersweet, too. It goes, because... you know, you've heard this a million times, but it's so true. It goes quickly. It goes quickly. We had our kids for three weeks, both at home, and then they just left again, you know, and you're just kind of like, okay, you know, I say to Joy, you know, what do we, what do, we do now, you know? <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have to figure out some kind of situation where you're on campus next or if I'm in Lancaster or something where I could get to say hello to Nilsa.
0: You're not the only person over in Boyer who has come to like a visit from Nilsa. So, you know, I'll still be teaching here one night a week uh, in the spring, that Native American Cultures course. Oh, okay. So you're you're staying. Mm -hmm. I was
1: going to ask you, are you staying connected here with
0: Messiah? Yeah. And we'll see. I'm going to reevaluate how that looks next year. Again, it's an added stress and I'm not sure how much I need it, but uh, at the same time, it is a lot of fun. To stay connected with college
1: students too because it's just a, it's a different opportunity. Yeah. Well, we've worked together on 60 episodes. Mm-hmm. I think many people are familiar with our kind of opening banter and kidding and joking around and kind of setting the stage for these episodes. But we've also had some we just mentioned before, some really great great guests. Any kind of favorite episodes that jump out to you as you think about your four years of producing here? Well, I don't know if I would call this a favorite moment as much as like the first kind of, oh no
0: moment. Uh, I I still remember we were talking with uh, Paul Lucas, who was at the time from ESPN.com. I know where you're going. He's since left. And it's the first time we upset a guest, I think. And one of the the ways we've planned our seasons is usually two of my pitched guests we get a season, right? You pick most of the guests, but I throw out some guests. And by by the time everything shakes down, about two or three of them are, are people I've picked. He was someone who has curated a very niche blog that I still read obsessively. Someone who's probably not that famous, but for me was kind of...
1: Yeah, you know big deal
0: big deal i remember and, how excited you were and we, when we ma- we and we made him mad by asking him a question once we got off the air he was very it, it worked out fine but uh that was the first time
1: i was like oh we could like
0: i could screw something up here pretty bad i go can back some- and yeah
1: go back and listen to that episode <laughs> it's still a good i can't episode. remember which it which it was we, we said his tastes were conservative he said i don't like that label you know he didn't like any changes to the uniform and for those who know he
0: runs a blog on sports uniform aesthetics yeah and yeah. the history of sports uniforms and i said Would
1: you say your tastes are conservative and he just, I don't think he, I wouldn't say he blew up. No, no, no. He clearly was irritated. (laughs) Like, who are these guys? I've been nice enough to come on their (laughs) podcast and now I got this history professor telling me I'm conservative. That was pretty good. Cool. We've had some really great sports episodes. Yeah. And I think one of the things you've pushed me to do is, you know, I'm a sports fan too, obviously, but a lot of the sports episodes have been, I mean, some of them, like Amy Bass or Bruce Berglund, I knew them, but you really pushed to kind of make sure we do that. I'm trying to remember the La Vida baseball yeah. guy. Uh,
0: uh, Adrian Burgos. Adrian Junior. Burgos, yeah. yeah. That was a lot of fun because that's yeah. a guy, he's a professor at uh, University of Illinois right, in the right. history department, he's a historian, but he's made this wonderful side career of interviewing Latin baseball players and right, and really right. trying to change the way we think of the history of baseball. You know, his big thing is it's America's with the apostrophe after the S right. pastime, because right. we sometimes think of this as, you know... A traditionally white sport and then we have Jackie Robinson who breaks the color barrier yeah. and then you know Roberto Clemente and something that was traditionally American white you know yeah. quote-unquote white that then becomes more diverse but as he points out uh, actually baseball has been huge in Latin America the whole time yeah. and if you change the way you look at that history it's the the story of integration
1: looks a lot different Am I right to suggest that until earlier this season we had only done one episode where we were in two different places trying to interview somebody, and I think that was the first Sam Weinberg episode, <laughs> right? We've talked about this in other episodes before, where I was at Mount Vernon and mm-hmm. you, were I don't know where you were, you were home or something. And you know, I was in the bathroom of my residence quarters room at the Mount Vernon Scholars House, and it was echoing. And I'm like sitting next to the toilet um, on the floor of the bathroom, trying to get good sound, uh, listening to Sam Weinberg yell at us for um, asking dumb questions. <laughs> <laughs> we well, probably had a very similar experience
0: getting yelled at by Sam Weinberg as I did <laughs> getting yelled at by Paul Lucas. Yeah. That's right. I mean, there's That's another right. person you respect that. Episode is very memorable to me too because it was my first introduction to Sam Weinberg. Right. I've become a big fan of his work. But he, you know, now sure. that we've had two episodes with him on,
1: listeners will know. He definitely brings his personality. Oh, yeah. he's, not, he's not a shy guy. I think he said at one point it was either one of us asked a question it was kind of like, well, why would you ask that? Or That's, <laughs> that's a dumb question. Yeah, yeah. He's the only like person that. who's told us our question was dumb. And right, exactly. It. exactly. And then, of course, how can we forget the famous live episode, yeah. right in front of the faculty and community educators, uh, must have been what two, three hundred people yeah. in the room. I remember just being incredibly anxious about that. You were like a pro in that <laughs> episode, but you know, it's one thing to sit here in the studio and sort of riff on different topics and interview different people, but then to go in front of like several hundred of your colleagues that you see every day who are required to be at this event. Yeah. This was the May Development Week event after classes had ended and after graduation had taken place. And they asked us to do a live podcast on the, hu- I think it was on like the role of the humanities. Or- yeah. Digital work in the humanities. Digital work like in it- the humanities. And here we are up on this stage in this like very majestic uh, concert hall that we have here in this, actually it's in this building yeah, just here next at Messiah door. College and Drew and I are up on the stage and I'm just like, I know no one wants to be here. And I know from personal experience, you sit in the chair there and you're like, okay, what are you going to give me now that's going to hold my attention for the next hour? But you know something? I think that was a home run. I oh, mean, you I, were phenomenal. You kind of came into your own, I think, <laughs> in that episode because from that point forward it was like, who is this Drew? Like <laughs> can can we get him to do this? Can Drew I think partially your performance in that episode is what kind of landed you the job with the Digital Harrisburg yeah. uh, because people were saying like, wow, this is these well, guys, these guys are good. Yeah, you know. Well, and Digital Harrisburg was one of the topics, right? One of the guests. That's right. One of the That's guests. That's right. It was
0: a panel for those who uh, haven't heard the episode. It was a panel with three different professors here on campus who do work in the digital space but yeah. are humanities professors, one being David Pettigrew, right. who is the uh, the director of the Digital Harrisburg Initiative. And it, you know, it was shortly after that right. that I got the job as
1: the project manager. And it was also, it was what I loved about that episode, which I was very anxious about at the time, but it was kind of a surprise. Right. So no one knew we were going to be hosting a live, no one in the audience knew that we were going to be hosting a live episode of the podcast. And um, I was out there talking with this uh, woman named Ashley Schaefer. She was interviewing me about what I do with the podcast. And then um, Ashley Schaefer works in our Agape Center, which is our service learning center. And then, like at one point, we had planned to just kind of transition and said, you know, I said something like, You know, something, Ashley? Instead of telling you about the podcast, why don't we just do an episode right mm-hmm. here? And then you like emerge from like the side I door. Know. The fake Springsteen music at the <laughs> beginning of the podcast just comes raining into the auditorium. And we're like, Welcome to episode. I look back on that now and I, I just had a ball doing that episode, despite the fact that, like you weren't, you were somewhere else. I was in the back room with some, with Ashley and a few others, just sweating, you know, like thinking like, Oh my gosh, I hope this works or else I'm going to fall flat on my face. And I think at least from, you know, locally here in the Messiah college community, I think it was that episode, Mm -hmm. you know, now people come up to me on campus who don't know me really well, or don't know my blog or my work as a historian. And they're like, Oh, man, I loved your podcast. You know, Now I'm listening to your podcast. Yeah,
0: that was a very different experience because, I mean, obviously we record and we try to keep things light and conversational, but that you peer behind the curtain, the listener doesn't hear everything we say in the studio. We did do some editing of, of that episode as well, but- right. There were 200, 300 people who
1: got to hear the unedited version, right? And And people, I love that, like, you know, I was trying to get the audience to clap. People were clapping, and, you know, it was just just phenomenal. It was just a a great moment, I think, for our brand here, (laughs) if you will, uh, here at the podcast. So, Drew, this will be your last appearance on the podcast. Although you know who knows, yeah, you know we well, may have you have a guest and talk more about your stuff at the Stone School or whatever. Or when so, my super awesome book but, comes out, and you exactly. Can have me on as a guest, um, first of all, this is your last appearance, kind of in any official capacity as an employee of the podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah. Let's put it that way. Our kind of our partnership, at least for now, it sort of ends here. But we have a lot of listeners out there, right? And they have come to rely on, whether they realize it or not, a lot of the things that you do behind the scenes and you you mentioned a little bit about this at the beginning of the podcast help our listeners out there to know that despite the fact that you are leaving we are still in good hands you know maybe introduce us to some of the transitions that are going to happen here as you step down probably this is something i should do but as long as i have you here you're the <laughs> one who you're the one who's kind of orchestrated your own exit plan so maybe yeah. so maybe i'll uh, i'll let you speak to that those who don't know exactly kind of what
0: i've always been doing is i've kind of existed as that center of the venn diagram but yeah <laughs> this thing doesn't go
1: without you so but we've had y- to make some changes yeah, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm the center there of between the technical side the recording posting on the internet you know, making sure all that is maintained. And then the history side, the right, content side. Right. You know, as a trained historian, you know, we've been able to work together. Obviously that's gonna change. I think it's gonna move forward in still very profound ways, but there will be a little bit less on air collaboration, obviously, between you and someone else on the team. Right. Casey's staying on, she's done awesome work. One of the things you've heard me a lot less on the podcast, but part of what I've been doing. In the meantime is training Casey on how to do a lot of the technical things that I'd been doing. You know, the way our workflow previously had been was our studio producer would take care of all the audio and then just send it to me, and I would make sure, clean it up, put in the music, and then do your feeds. And so I was in charge of that work while also maintaining our Patreon base. You're going, John, going to take over some of that Patreon management, some of the writing I had been doing, episode descriptions, things like that, while Casey is going to be taking over posting the episode, stuff like that. I'm very confident in both of your abilities to do those two things, but it is going to be a little bit different. Longtime listeners have already seen the ways in which the format and sequencing of the episodes has been changing a little bit. You've been jumping right into your audio essays because we're not going to have the banter sections that we've had in the past. But everything I've heard, although I actually don't know who the guest lineup is, and you like to keep that close to the vest anyways, yeah. but you've already got guests lined up for the spring. So in that regard, and I, you know, I know a lot of the meat of all of our episodes are really fascinating conversations between you and a guest, that's going to remain exactly the same.
1: Yeah. Just bear with us, folks. Casey is phenomenal. She'll be with us through May, and then I'm hoping she's going to find somebody to replace her. We're still working on that. I think we're going to move forward, you know, give us some grace in terms of any kind of hiccups or so forth that we might have. Remember folks, we are still out there and we can still use your support. We still have our Patreon page up and running the way of improvement leads home podcast. Please consider going on to that page and supporting us with a small donation or a pledge. We still have signed Books. We still have our mugs. We still have all the gifts for those who contribute to the podcast. Tell your friends. Share favorite episodes on uh, on Twitter and on Facebook. Continue to just uh, go back and listen to some of our past episodes. We now have a nice body of work for newcomers. Try to you know get caught up and so forth. But we are going strong. We are going to miss Drew, but we are still going strong here as we push through this season. As Drew just said we have some great guests lined up i'm
0: really excited just to become a listener you know and the episode still appears every two weeks in my feed so now i get to just sit back and enjoy maybe be a little less stressed about whether posted correctly or not we
1: can use our we can use drew's massive networks too hopefully you're still going to share our podcasts with your friends like you've been doing for so long are we still using overhaul? I've you passed know. on the MP3s. Uh, some of the transition music is Drew's former band. Drew will continue to have an imprint here upon the way of Improvement Leads Home. You don't really get many opportunities after a student graduates to then come back and work with a student. Drew was my student, as some of you know, 2002 to 2006. Yep. yep. Does that sound right? Totally right and then we you know we stayed in touch Drew stayed in the area we reconnected to work on this podcast man if you get a chance to work with a former student take it you know it's this has just been a phenomenal experience for me. It has been so great getting to know Drew and his young family. Again, it's not often that a professor gets an opportunity like this to develop a friendship in this way with a former student, what, 10, 15 years after mm-hmm. that student graduates. So Drew, it has been an honor. It has been a pleasure really to work beside you. I'll always see you as my partner in crime here. This is not no longer a professor-student relationship. Mm-hmm. These are colleagues working together to bring great history podcasting to the general public so you know from the depths of my heart thank you for helping me at least navigate this (laughs) new phase of my career and my life it's been wonderful well thank you very much for giving me this opportunity for all of you who are listening how can they get a hold of you drew your twitter handle is you know i've been a very difficult place in this political yeah. season. A little bit less on Twitter, but I'm still there. D. Durley Hermeling, Send me an email and I'll yeah. pass it along. You know, if you have some kind words for Drew, hit me up on Facebook or whatever and I'll pass it along. You can go to stoneindependent.org. Okay. No, I know a lot of you have developed a uh, virtual relationship with Drew. You've enjoyed our exchanges back and forth and you've enjoyed getting to know him over these last four years. So we'd really appreciate it. I think he would, too, if you could just kind of send a note thanking him for all his hard work here at The Way of Improvement Leads Home. Thanks again for listening to this special episode of the podcast. Until we meet again, may your way of improvement always lead home. Drew, take us out one last time. This has
0: been a production of The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections at the intersection of American history, religion, politics, and academic life. Visit us at thewayofimprovement.com. The Wave Improvement Leads Home is a member of the Recorded History Podcast Network. Check out the other podcasts on the network by heading over to recordedhistory.net. If you want to support our efforts, please rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice, so others may more easily find this podcast. And let's continue the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Follow us at T-W-O-I-L-H Podcast podcast was brought to you through the generous support of Gretchen Adams, Richard Green, Margaret Graves, Kate Logan, Lisa DeGuardi, and Ron Schooler. Also, many thanks to our sponsor, Jennings College Consulting, discovering the right college fit for your future. The podcast was recorded at the High Center Studios at Messiah College. Thanks to Ed Ark for his continued support. Original music is by Overholt. Our studio producer is Casey Lehman. I've been your producer and guest, Drew durley Hermeling, and your host is John Fia.